0: This is the Breaking Down Incident Response podcast. We are your hosts, Brian Betcher,
1: and I am Michael Goff.
0: Welcome, welcome. We got a great show today. Uh, Let me go over a show summary first of all. And this is our August podcast. We have a guest today who's going to talk about our topic of the day, and uh, we have some newsworthy items now. Uh, a hacking game was attributed to a 380,000 record breach of British airways. And if you have a Tesla Model S, you should add a little security before returning to an empty parking space. Stand by for that. Got something called recon malware uh, that was in the news recently. Then we'll go over uh, malware of the month. We saw some Imitate variances that were kind of interesting uh, a few weeks ago. Also, Uh, some site-worthy items. Uh, We have a couple of sites to aid threat hunters and incident responders. Then we're going to go over some tool-worthy items to help defend against attacks. And then we're going to talk about our topic of the day, Torah, Torah, Torah. And now a word from our sponsors.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Humio, a high-performance log management and analysis tool delivering real-time performance for system monitoring and investigation. By allowing users to ingest huge amounts of data on a single node for ad hoc queries and search without doing any indexing, Humio enables its users to monitor a system for errors, user volumes, transactions, registrations, or search on multiple parameters. Humio is available in both on-premise and cloud versions. Start a free trial of Humio today at humio.com. That is is h-u-m-i-o.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LogMD, the log and malicious discovery tool for Windows-based systems for IT, InfoSec, IR, and forensics professionals. It helps you assess your audit log settings against several industry standards, including the Windows Logging Cheat Sheet, so you can improve your logging to collect all the right things. LogMD can also be used to hunt for targeted, malicious, and interesting artifacts, such as large registry keys, autoruns, WMI persistence malicious PowerShell execution, and targeted log events that can then be collected by your log management solution. LogMD provides more details and easy-to-read reports than your EDR solutions can provide. We offer free, professional, and consulting licenses. Discover it. Discover LogMD today at log-md.com.
0: Let me introduce our guest. She is the Attack Threat Intelligence Lead at MITRE. Katie Nichols, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Please hold your applause.
1: (laughs) No, I got to have my fun, man. man. I got to have my fun.
0: All right. So, Newsworthy. Newsworthy. After September 21st, uh, credit freezes are free. This is an article by Krebs.
1: Crib's on security. So yes, I personally freeze my credit. I love it. It's not that difficult. Some people will say, oh, I got to make do all this work. Uh, I, my tips to everybody is, A, do this. Um, this is the difference between a, a burglar being able, to, being able to break into your house versus the security monitor that tells you after you get home, hey, someone broke into your house, which is what security monitoring or credit monitoring does for you. So the credit freeze locks everybody out from being able to apply for credit, it's really good. My wife and I have had to do it a couple times to unfreeze for cars or whatnot, property that we bought. Uh, Just take really good notes of the phone numbers, the pins you need, the URLs, and then you can unfreeze it for a period of time and it will auto-freeze back. It's really handy and it doesn't get any better with all the breaches we have and and Equifax and all the things that occurred that uh, protecting your credit is a real important thing from identity theft. So yay, it's uh, now officially free with the law that, that passed in January and as of what, September 21st, everybody can get free credit check or credit freezes, which is awesome.
0: Highly recommend it, especially for kids. When do kids need credit, right? Well, hackers actually break into or steal their social security numbers, and uh, you won't find out for like 15 years or something like that if it's a young child. Um, This is a really good thing for them. After they're born, they get a social security number, freeze their credit for the next 18 years, and uh, you're good to go.
1: Yeah, when it when the child does become an adult, they will then have to refreeze it again under their adult purview versus the parent controlling the child area. So, yeah, there is a two step process if you're in that border age area.
2: Yeah, so what I'm really curious to see is if more people will do this as a result of it being free, and I kind of suspect not so much because I mean for all of these security things, it's like a balance of inconvenience, right? How much do I want to be inconvenienced, and you know. I'm out of Gap and I want my new Gap credit card for 15% off and I have to make a phone call for that first to unfreeze my credit, like that's going to slow me down. So I just feel like, I don't know. I feel like we're in the minority of like security conscious people and I, I wish more people would do this, but we'll, well, I'm curious to see if this changes anything at being free or if it's sort of kind of the status quo of what people are, you know, thinking it's never going to happen to me. Right.
1: Well, they're giving away credit monitoring by the tons when these breaches happen. Again, um, a story I've told before in the podcast where I bought some land, applied for it, got approved, bought the land, got the closing paperwork. And literally that afternoon after I closed on the property, I got alerted that somebody had put a a uh, loan out. I'm like, uh, a little bit late, don't you think? So um, yeah, it's much better if you block it. Now, there's an important point here. There's three credit agencies you're going to do this to. There's a couple more if you read Krebs stuff. But the main ones, obviously, Equifax, Experian, and uh, TransUnion. You only have to unfreeze the one that the thing you're applying credits. If you go buy a car and they use TransUnion, you only need to unfreeze TransUnion. Uh, But with it being free, I guess you could undo all three for two weeks and then you don't have to worry about asking them which one they use. And so, yeah, another important point, but please look into it. Uh, Krebs has everything you need to know about that information. So, yeah. Yeah, he's good about that. Okay. Next, do you
0: use a Tumi bag? What is this about?
1: So, uh, yeah, if you do you use a Tumi bag, uh, did you register it with Tumi's tracer service? Your bag might not only be the only thing being tracked. A reliable source, we happen to know another person, Told us that one way or other, Toomey may have lost track of the details of the users who registered their bags with the service. And that whomever got a hold of it, your registration information, could use it for phishing campaigns, sophisticated or otherwise. So uh, there'll be more coming out on this as uh, this unfolds. Uh, but it uh, definitely uh, is in the beginning process of notification. But uh, since we know the guy, we're doing a shout out. Uh, hey, guy! You know, uh, but yeah, if you are using the tracker service, know that uh, you might be being tracked more than your bag. British Airways website hacked thirty eight thousand users. Three hundred eighty thousand users. Three hundred eighty. Sorry, that, was that That's a conversion sorry. to U.S. users versus British users? It could be. You'll be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this is a card skimming fraud on their on their website. And so if you do fly British Airways a lot, then you might want to take a look at your credit cards and or get them recycled if you're a big British Airways. I'm sure they'll publish the time period in which this occurred, but just FYI to people out there.
0: Cool, cool. And now um, if you have a Tesla, uh, you need to check out this article, Tesla X and Tesla S models. Uh, this, this is another key fob attack, right?
1: Yeah, for those that like car hacking, this is where uh, a Raspberry Pi might be involved, where I think in 30 seconds they were able to get into a Model S. And so if you're into the car hacking and following that, Tesla's been very open about providing their cars and their software to the car hacker folks. And so if you're a Tesla user, um, beware, somebody's found a way into your car. You
0: know, apparently they have a, a six terabyte table that they use. They've They've actually deconstructed the keys to all possible combinations. So they carry out this big six terabyte drive or whatever. And once they get the uh, code from your key fob, they correlate that with the password in the
1: table. So they have all possible
0: combinations. It's like a giant rainbow table.
1: I was going to say, so we got a rainbow table for Teslas. That's awesome. Yeah. I'd still buy one.
2: Well, let's be real. Anyone who can afford a Tesla, like if it gets stolen, they can just buy another one, right? So it's not really a big
1: deal. <laughs> okay. I lost my Tesla. I'm just going to go buy another one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 100K to drop. That's awesome.
0: All right. So uh, somebody dropped an O-Day on Twitter having to do with the Tor browser.
1: Yeah, so for those that are using the Tor browser, I know a few folks that really like to protect where they're surfing and whatnot and be as anonymous uh, as possible. So if you're a Tor browser user, beware, there is an O-Day, which means you could be owned. So just another FYI to the community to say, Tor or not to Tor, patch your stuff.
0: Right, okay, so what's the deal with this recon malware? Now, I know we've had something similar to this uh, last year or the year before, where it would kind of do a thing of your system, where it would take like, are you part of a part of a corporate environment? Things like that. What do you have on your desktop? Is this the same thing or is it a little different?
1: No, this is more of uh, the pen testing things. The reason this caught my eye is because, um, and Katie, you were in, probably sitting in the same talk at, at our sans um threat hunting incident response uh, conference here last week. Uh, one of the guys, and I tend to do this, I really wanted to stand up, but SANS doesn't like interrupting anybody. One of the presenters um, had listed, and I had mentioned this in my talk as well, which is why this is in the news for us. And they, they went through an attack and they showed the commands that were executing Right. I actually, I think it was you guys that did this. And you had like seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve 10, 12 commands as a part of the test of the, you know, the technique. And, you know, this is one of the things I tell people is monitor admin command executions, meaning the quantity because when admin does something, they they type ping, they type who am I, they'll type a couple, two, three, four commands. When hackers get on the box or pen testers get on the box, they execute a lot of commands. And I've been at multiple conferences and presentations by people at Mandiant and SecureWorks, and I was really rude at SecureWorks in two different talks where they literally listed the attacks of all these command lines of admin tools being executed. And I just said, okay... You guys listened to my talk earlier, so count how many commands are here. One had like 17, the other one had like 23. So just the sheer quantity of admin administrator commands. The This list is on Mauer archaeology, along with all the application whitelisting bypass commands from Casey Smith's uh, stuff, as well as the additional uh, maintained item on, on GitHub. Uh, that was mentioned in our prior podcast, but all those commands that you should monitor quantity of executions or monitor closely are in there. And the reason this report came out and I posted it and I want to talk about it is I want to list the commands or talk about the commands that uh, were in here. And so it takes a screenshot and Base64 encodes it, extracts Microsoft Outlook account details, runs the following system commands. System info, ipconfig slash all, netstat minus f net view, task list, who am I, net group, domain admin slash domain, dir, user profile desktop, WMIC, or WMIC, WIMI, wimmy right? That doesn't work Wimmy doesn't work when you're doing WMIC, but anyway, uh, WMic namespace root uh, security center two path, antivirus product, get display name. So they're p- parsing all the AV. Now, if I saw this show up in our alert that says greater than, than I think it's four. So on the fifth command of an admin command, that's in this list, system info is in there, IP configs in there, net stats in there, net, net.exe is in there, task list is in there. Um, it would have triggered when I, when the person got to net, net view. And then all these others would have shown up. Uh, this kind of query that I'm talking about is what caught the NTI group breaking into a former company I worked for because of how many commands, administrative type commands they type. And this is a great example. This is just, this is an article by Proofpoint. They're posted on the the three part series is posted on Mauer archeology. span But to point out um, this is a technique that we'll be talking about here in a second, that uh, if you want to test it, this is the kind of stuff you should be detecting. So um, I thought it was really appropriate for the topic. Yeah, you just
2: rattled off about Fifteen or so attack techniques under the discovery tactic. Because yeah, right. You're right, absolutely. When an adversary gets in the environment, they need to figure out what's there, what box they're on, all of that. So those are natural ones to look for, and like, can definitely be noisy. You know, if you're looking for you know one or two, sure admins are going to run them. But over time, if you look at what is normal for your environment, and then kind of alert on those spikes, that it's interesting to hear that you had a uh, luck detecting WinNTI with using that uh, method.
1: Oh yeah, it, it was the thing that caught WinNTI by nice. like got by everything else that we had, and this was the thing that lit up like a Christmas tree because they did it on every system. Patient zero didn't have much because they just used a plug X thing, but when they got the patient one and the domain controllers and email servers and other servers and workstations, they just lit this thing up like crazy. And so we had you know lots of systems that had all these commands. We're like, okay, we we know what's going on here.
0: The way I see it is they're kind of splitting up their hacks because they don't want to use their good malware right away. If they get caught, it's just this recon malware. It's disposable. If they don't get caught and it stays on the machine for a little while, then they can install the phase two or phase three. Another thing they could be doing is seeing what their target is. They don't know. I mean, it's a phishing email. It could have gone to anybody or whatever, unless they're specifically targeting an organization. But then once they know who uh, they have a zombie of they can then turn around and say, "Hey, uh, I've got you know five zombies in Company X. Does anybody want to pay for that? And so they give them those five computers or one or more, and then they sell them and then the actor that's trying to attack that particular company uh, can install their own malware following that. So that's the way I kind of see it is they're they're uh, chopping up their their entire, Uh, attack phase into these sections right so they don't give up the 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 goods right for someone who is really good at detecting malware all they get is the recon stuff
1: yeah and then maybe the recon stuff won't trigger when they do jump on a box They can just go straight to their to their basic uh commands and whatnot but i am surprised it's so
0: noisy right i would have thought hey let's 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 try to slip under the radar and just do this recon malware that only does a couple of functions that uh, um, it turns out it's um pretty detectable.
2: Yeah. yeah, but what what scares me about that is they probably wouldn't use it if they were detected all the time, so there are folks who aren't looking for these things and so if it works, why would they make it any better? It's kind of right. scary though.
1: It's the eighty twenty rule, right? That I talked about at Sands. The yep. we need to worry about being good at the eighty percent. Don't worry about the twenty percent you may not be able to do. Because uh, even as Rob Lee pointed out in his talk and his overhead projector thing, right? That was uh, so eighties. Um, except it would have been right in the eighties or seventies and eighties. It would have been those uh, plastic roller things where it was erasable. Remember those? Uh, but yeah, he did this over presentation and he had four boxes. He said, don't worry about these other threes. You can't do this one. You're going to catch what they're doing. Something's up. Somebody's going to set you off and you know what's going on. So, you know, worry about the one thing, not the other three, but yeah, you should get good at this stuff. It is, it is a, a good article and why we brought it up as a great example and it's proof point. So these are caught by the fact that they're through mail campaigns and through the sandboxing of email. And so um, that's why they, they thought it was interesting because this this definitely is a different change from what we normally see from email payloads. Next topic. Site warning. Okay, what do we got? Uh, Olaf
0: Hartung, Sysmon Modular.
1: This is a, a good site. Uh, it's talking about Sysmon, but one of the nice things about um, Olaf's work is that he's doing um, some mappings to the attack matrix. So he takes the Sysmon of NIDs, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, etc., and he actually has uh, mapped a lot of these things to attack. So, if you're using Sysmon and you want to know where it sits with Attack, that's why I mentioned Olaf. He's on a Slack channel, uh, and we interact with him quite a bit. He's uh, a great resource, and so people should uh, pay attention when he's doing. But I thought this was a, a good site for uh, people to reference since the uh, subject of Attack uh, is in here.
2: Yeah, I'm such a fan of this. This is such a good example of like how the community has embraced Attack and made these useful things out of it. And you know, I just love it because. Like you don't necessarily need to buy an e d r tool like you use sysmon and Olaf's work, and you can get quite a lot um just out of sysmon, yeah, big fan of this
1: and I, I'm not gonna disagree with you more. I think people if they spent the money uh, other than you know Splunk license complaints and costs all that if you spend the money on doing good logging, you are pretty much eighty percent to e d r in a lot of cases, just no prevention,
2: yeah, it's sort of like do you want to spend your money on buying a tool or on paying your awesome engineers to develop the the tool for you so
1: yeah, pay the engineers. We want That's more money. That's a
2: trade-off.
0: So Roberto's got a threat hunter playbook that he posted.
1: Yeah. So shout out to Roberto uh, again. He another another attendee of uh, of Sans Thur last week. He's Roberto's got a lot of projects going on, and him and I are going to get together and do some collaboration on the topic we're talking about tonight because he and I are both going down a similar path. And so the threat hunter playbook. The reason I put this in here is he too is mapping some information about threat hunting specifically to the MITRE attack framework. And so uh, it's worth mentioning because in addition to that, he's got references to the Sigma project. We'll probably have another podcast on that, but Sigma, uh, Florian Roth's project to take a generic language of uh, log management or log events or, or event management or SIM to then uh, create a generic language where you build the query in that and have it converted to various things like Splunk, Elk, Greylog, Humio, etc. That's what that's about. And so he references that in the Threat Threat Hunter playbook as well and uh, mapping it to attack and uh, mentions several other other sources in his resources on his GitHub page. So another great site.
2: I should mention he's also the nicest guy. Like he's always on twitter and he's so helpful if people have questions or ever want to collaborate with him got to hang out with him in new orleans and yeah Rebecca's is a great guy so this is another another resource that i'm a fan of as well
1: yep as is matt gravery works with over there at specter ops so shout out to both those guys we know pretty well He's cyber war dog on Twitter is in
0: the show notes. All right. So Katie found a site kind of obscure that she wants to talk about. <laughs>
2: I have heard of it. It's a you thing think? called attack. Uh, kind of new and different. Yeah. So attack.mitre.org. That is the go-to for everything MITRE attack related. Um, I wanted to call out just kind of people are probably familiar with attack or heard of it. Um, what is it? It's knowledge base of adversary behavior. So you can find everything from that one site. Um, A couple of things to kind of call out on the website. It's not just attack for enterprise, which is like the traditional initial access and post-exploit people are familiar with. There's also mobile attack and pre-attack. We have other good things on the site and we have a great philosophy paper explaining like why we do and how we do what we do as a team. There's a link to our upcoming attack con. There's a link to a bunch of blogs we've done recently. There's a link to the cyber analytics repository, which gives you some ideas for detection. There's a link to uh, attack and sticks on GitHub. There's a link to the attack navigator which we'll talk about later. So lots of things just from this one website. So if you remember one thing, attack.mitre.org would be it in my opinion.
0: I've been there many times. Next topic. Oh, Oh, we're gonna talk about some tools. All right, let's circle back to Olaf again.
1: Sysmon Modular is a tool. Sysmon is a tool. So again, reiterating um, that people should take a look at that. And uh, on on that view, we also have um, Sysmon View and Sysmon Shell, uh, another GitHub project to help you build and look at and and build your XML files, which is how the Sysmon configs are. And so there's some GUI interfaces to help you uh, be a click kitty. Those are the tools from BDIR um, that can help you potentially along with Olaf stuff, build a Sysmon attack map. And Katie found a tool as well.
2: I did find a tool. Well, kind of biased because some folks on my team developed it. Uh, The attack navigator. Um, It's a great way to help you visualize whatever you want to do with attack. So whether it's, you know, I'm a threat analyst, so I like to map group behavior. Um, Whether you want to map like how your tool can detect certain attack techniques or do comparisons between those two things, which... I'm a huge fan of as well. Um, navigator just lets you visualize that, right. You know, selecting techniques, comparing different techniques, making really pretty, um, matrices of different colors, um, comparing your defenses to your, to your threats, that kind of thing. So navigators in care, you know, how you use it, but just meant to help, uh, visualize anything you want to do with attack. And it's funny. Cause, uh, Bald Rob Lee from Sam's, he like was working on something like this and they spent a ton of time putting together visualization. And then I think the next week we released Navigator and he was like, really guys, like couldn't have given me a heads up on that. So um, yeah, a lot of people have found this really useful as they're trying to go about using attack to help visualize it.
1: Might need some explanation there. So there's two Rob Lee's that uh, are (laughs) participating in Sam. So the separation is Bald Rob Lee and, and Bearded Rob Lee.
2: There are two of them. Yeah, the other tool that I should definitely give a shout out to um, my colleagues, uh, Blake Strom and Andy Applebaum are leads on this, uh, Caldera. It's an automated red teaming tool that is based on attack techniques. So, you know, there are a few different tools in this area, like Uber's meta and a few others. Um, One of these is Caldera, open source on GitHub. So definitely encourage anyone who's looking into the automated red team field, which is pretty hot right now. um, Check that out.
0: Sweet. And all that info is in the show notes. now.
1: Malware of the month. We actually have one this month as opposed. Well, we kind of have two this month because, well, we were working on one of them. And now we got another one similar to that, but they're different. So now we got two samples to talk about. Yeah, the first one came in as a Word doc. Same typical enable content, nothing special here. PowerShell downloader, pretty typical Word doc, right? Word doc opens, command.exe opens, PowerShell away it goes and starts, you know, pulling stuff down. And then the difference is the samples, right? You know, Betcher, you did you did the eval on on these, and uh, I played with them as well. One of mine didn't work, um, but we're seeing an interesting combination of not only the Word docs, but also attempts to do EXEs, which uh, is kind of interesting because you know they're you have to deliver an EXE through a URL or or a zip or something, but they seem to be having multiple delivery mechanisms for emitat these days right
0: uh so the the second sample i looked at more recently that was an exe that downloaded and uh, executed now could have been executed with javascript or some other means all i had was the binary so i went ahead and executed that uh it doesn't matter how it's kicked off it could be powershell or whatever it put in a run key then then a um then a scheduled task after that. I should right? just
2: interject both of those are attack techniques. I feel like as we're going through this, I can be like, that's a technique. That's oh, yeah. a technique. <laughs> run key scheduled tasks. Two there are going to be lots number. of them.
1: Whenever we talk about malware, that's one of the reasons we do this is for exactly this reason is these are the kinds of things you should be looking for people, right? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I ran LogMD the first time, got the run key. That was the first thing. Um, it, it basically... Put in two samples of malware. So the dropper came in, infected the machine, and then uh, removed itself. So it, it uh, you know, pretty put, typical behavior. Put a run key in, put uh, uh, the first sample in app data local, and uh, then the second one was a scheduled task and the binary is located in program data. So uh, the thing is, it waited a little bit before the second sample. I was a little too quick to run logMD. Uh, the second sample didn't make it into the logs, but I found it through uh, some hash compares. And then I ran auto runs again, and I and another auto run popped up a scheduled task. So I ran LogMD again to harvest the logs and found out that uh, yes, it indeed in uh, have a second infection on there. So yeah, it was a dropper that put in two pieces of malware. It was really cool to have those two techniques in one. Uh, it may have been that the dropper
1: uh, again pay per install.
0: Right, the
1: more you install, the more they get paid. It could be, could be a reason. Also, the uh, name of the scheduled task was a long GUID, trying to be obscure, right? obscurity to make sure to make it think like it's just a Microsoft thing. Um, but that's that's uh, not a good thing because usually the name of tasks are named something normal. So something to look out for is, uh, what, what is the task's name? Now the first sample we had last month, uh, again, another Imitate sample, uh, this one had unique things. Uh, and again, we have a feature in LogMD which makes this stick out like a sore thumb. They used Base64 blob to hide the download so that it executes, right? So PowerShell 4104s will decrypt that for you so you can actually see what it does. They also tried to you know be clever and use DOS obfuscation And so that's at the command line. They're doing all kinds of funky DOS, carrot, whack-whack thingies to hide what it is they're typing. Uh, This just breaks spell checkers, but for SIR people that are doing good logging, uh, this thing sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, typical long random name, you know, uh, same hash, uh, same kind of idea. But this one, instead of using program data, use users public where they put 203.exe. And again, uh, pointing out that it's the root of public and also the root of AppData local Microsoft Windows in both samples case. They drop the binary in the root of these folders which just isn't where stuff resides. There's nothing else there. So these ex- executables stick out or should stick out to you when you're doing your hunting and or creating alerts. Uh, lots of temp files were created by this slskey.exe that they dropped. Um, that's kind of unusual to see a whole bunch right after it executes, but they're probably doing screenshots and, and gathering some information about about uh, the user's environment. Again, typical run key persistence, nothing interesting there like Betcher's sample. They did change the firewall policy. This sample did this, the the other Emetet sample did not. And it also were faulted. So the firewall policy uh, for remote assistance is what they were changing is a different log. It is a Windows firewall policy log. And it also were faulted, which is also something you can detect. And and that is actually uh, another attack matrix item is the application faults so watch out for those would be the, the giveaways. And so some lessons learned um in regards to this, right? So watch your process evaluation. We've gotten so quick at evaluating these things that uh again like like Brian said the running log md, you know, what 5 minutes maybe and bam, uh, the malware got around to creating a scheduled task which was missed the first go around. So either A, do it again or B, I often tell people Uh, Make sure you have everything, clear the logs, reboot the box or don't clear the logs and reboot the box and then run your evaluation again so you can see if you truly did catch everything and you get the boot sequence involved. Um, uh, By clearing the logs, Brian lost the task scheduler creation so we had to do it again. Um, And so that's why sometimes clearing the logs and rebooting, you might lose some artifacts and might create you some more work. But that's a good lesson learned because that's just a delay tactic for evaluation. And because it used a schedule tab, Uh, Again, we mentioned this before, I think in a previous news article, enable scheduled task logging. It is not enabled by default. Again, another attack technique as well. And uh, also, before you (laughs) evaluate uh, your malware, launch Chrome. Make sure it does its update because Chrome launches a lot of scheduled tasks, and so it'll run that update thing, and you'll get confused if if they happen to use Chrome. Uh, as as a similar name. And we did have one of those that looked like a Chrome update that wasn't. Yeah, launch your Chrome first before you do your malware so you know those tasks aren't anything to do with any. Yeah,
0: that's, that's funny you mentioned that because we have this report called any process. It's a process tree report, but it filters anything that's just a single uh, depth. And so in the multiple depth process tree, we had four things show up. One was me launching LogMD. The other two were the malware samples where the dropper um, installed the two malware and the other one was the Chrome update. Yeah. So we only had four things in the report. Two of them were bad. Two of them were bad.
1: And then also know that there is uh you might turn on auditing for C windows system 32 tasks. There's XML files in there where the, uh, tasks are stored. And so if you audit that directory for any new created tasks, you can trigger a 4663 in your logs for, uh, something new showing up another way to detect more information on, uh, schedule tasks. Okay. Now on to our topic of the day, a uh, little known
0: guide of adversary behavior. All right. Now, now I kind of joke about how it's, it's the small thing that no one knows about, but in fact, pretty much everyone's talking about it now in the, in the cons that we go to, uh, we were just at the um, threat hunting summit in new Orleans. And it was like, wow, every, every talk has something about attack in it. It has gained a lot of steam uh michael and i uh recognized this i don't know last year and so we started really digging into it and and we were discussing you know what the impact of this could be and we were like man um we better jump on board because it i think uh this is going to be a big deal really soon and turns out
1: it has been yeah it provides us information that uh we're about to talk about that i think has been missing or lacking um i i mentioned in my talk at the Sans Thur that uh, I've been referring to this probably for about six years now as malware management, where you take incident response reports and uh, AV reports and, and analysis reports about various breaches and whatnot, and you read through them. Uh, the FBI did a great one about the retail uh, credit card sniffing stuff where they gave you the details, all the techniques and things they did. They did FTP. They loaded malware. It was found here. It was a service. They load two services, right, all the things you'd want to alert for. And they were never up to now, up until Attack came out. They were they were never in a context. This wasn't covered in ISO twenty seven thousand, uh, PCI. Even though PCI says you have AV and whatnot, there's no guide of or you must have logging. There's no guide to tell you exactly the kinds of things you should be doing. Like how do I pr- that the proof part of the assessment? Right, that's what's what's missing. Attack gives us, hey, I've kind of gone through all these reports. You know, like I've been saying, and we put it together in this nice format. And so it really, I think, allows a lot of organizations and people like us that are IR to say, you know, and and our old manager asked us, well, how do you know to look for those things? Well, the WinNTI group did this, this, and this, and this. So I always look here, right? I always tell people, always look for binaries and see users executing. That's generally never good. Uh, minus the ones you know about. Um, and so we learn these things with experience and what Mitre's done is dumped all this massive experience into a very cohesive format uh, and usable thing. And I think that's huge. I was also shocked. How many talks did Sans Thur have on attack? Seven, eight that had something about attack? I runs?
2: counted, I think I counted 12 out of 17 that mentioned attack in some way. False now, or minus one or two. And then even the ones... By the end, the ones that didn't mention it were like, I'm not going to talk about attack, just so you know. It was kind (laughs) of funny. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that I, I doubt is a coincidence because Sans didn't tell us to submit a talk about attack. When I submitted my talk, I didn't have any clue other than it was threat hunting. So... Um yeah, I mean, I think it it just it this wave of stuff now they may have picked a lot of talks because of the attack popularity, but um, this thing is really cool. I warned people in the last podcast, hey, you know this is our our side of the week, so uh you know, pay attention, and so now we're gonna have a multi part conversation about this what's this attack stuff, and so Katie's here to explain it all to yeah, us yeah and-
0: just a just a minor correction when you said pci doesn't tell you what you should be doing it it really does tell you what you should be doing, but it doesn't tell you why, and it, you know, for uh, practical reasons why you should be doing it, and it doesn't tell you, like, what specific things you should be looking for, right? It just says, overall, you should have this particular thing installed, like, I don't know, um, uh, file monitoring why do you need to do that? And what should you be defending against when you're doing file monitoring? So, so Katie, whats attack exactly?
2: Yeah. So we kind of touched on an, a knowledge base of adversary behavior. So, you know, as Michael said, just trying to kind of bring together all the information that's out there about what adversaries are doing, you know, whether it's before they've exploited you, which would be pre-attack or, you know, as they're exploiting you and what can they can do after they've gotten into your networks, which is enterprise attack or, you know, on the mobile side, mobile attack. So um, yeah, the team, um, you know, realized that something like the cyber kill chain wasn't quite granular enough for defenders. Um, attack was actually born out of MITRE's Fort Meade, Maryland site, um, something called the Fort Meade experiment where folks did a series of red team, blue team exercises. So the red team would go in and do their thing in the network needed to communicate back to the blue team, right? And so something like Kill Chain wasn't granular enough for them to be able to say, here's exactly what we did. So they kind of came up with something to help them communicate, and that was Attack. Um, the team found it so useful that um, it was publicly released in 2015. And since then, it's been really fascinating to watch. I joined the team, you know, close to three years ago, soon after it had been publicly released. And at that point, it was sort of like, a couple of people liked it. And you know we were not it was not a really a big deal. And then it was really a grassroots growth, I think. You know, Mitre were not marketing experts, you know, like some of these private companies. But I think it was really someone saw it, and they told their friends, "Hey, you should check out this attack thing because it's really useful. And you know I think the red team community in particular embraced it early on, and then EDR vendors, and then now it's kind of growing. Um, to, yeah, where, you know, we go to the SANS Threat Hunting Summit and everyone's talking about it. And it's it's been really exciting to see because I think what resonates with people is that it's, it's useful, right? And it's free and it's open and anyone can use it. You know, if you're a student who's trying to learn about what adversaries are doing, cool. If you're a vendor, vendors are embracing this. If you're a SOC who wants to like map your tools or your threat analysis, you can use it too. So I think that's, why it's resonating because it's free, it's open and because there there are a lot of different ways you can apply it and use it.
1: Yeah. And and we uh, talked about that. Our part two will cover how we're applying and using it and recommend people do things with it. So, uh, the one the one thing i i really caught on to um with the effort and it's pretty really funny um i did not actually look at roberto's stuff initially way back when i started doing what i was doing and then when i finally went and say well, i know he's doing some stuff let me go look at it <laughs> it was kind of shocking how similar we were taking an approach of saying you know here's attack and and he works for a consultancy uh, i'm a blue team defender in an organization and we take a little different look at things right as a consultant we go out and we assess things and we had a podcast, uh, I think on BDS here what, a year or so ago, where we talked about a, a an ISO framework we used to use at HP. And this allows a consultant like Graber and, and Roberto to go out to a location and say, OK, I'm a pen tester. I'm going to do these things. Do you have a way to detect it? Can you see what I'm doing? Because I'm going to act just like an adversary and map it and then say, look, here's your gaps here's technologies you don't have you might want to increase this you didn't catch any of this but put it in a way that's you know this is what the bad guys are doing not because it's my opinion because I'm a consultant and I'm I'm you know really I have really cool foo this puts it in a in a format that you guys at Miter have said look we've collected all this stuff and the industry's kind of said yeah this is dead on you know if you do this like we did you can map 80% of your logging to the MITRE framework, uh, man, you're going to, you're going to catch.
2: Yeah. That's a key point is actually, it looks at kind of the adversary perspective. You know, if you're an adversary, what are your goals on the network? You know, what are the tactics you're trying to do, whether it's lateral movement or command and control. So that is kind of a different approach. Um, yeah. We believe in that as well. You know, the red team and blue team working together and purple teaming, it's not about just the red team compromising everyone and saying, ha you suck defenders. Like that doesn't get anyone anywhere. So yeah, we have a bunch of red teamers and former red teamers, current red teamers on our team. And um, we really, you know, kind of advocate for that purple teaming approach that like you mentioned, Michael.
0: And it's and it's getting to where it's starting to become a common language. Like if you do have a pen tester come in, you can tell him, okay, I want to focus on these uh, cells in the attack matrix. And he can tailor his attacks to make sure that they involve those cells to see if you can detect them. All right. And has anyone ever done a capability matrix on their tools? I remember uh, I was tasked to do one by my manager. And yeah, I could I could um, build a matrix of our capabilities, but I didn't know whether whether it would actually stop most or all of the attacks, right that were out there. And I didn't have anything to to say, okay, I'm, I'm doing this for this reason, right? And this can kind of replace those capability matrix now to where instead of taking your tool and trying to build a matrix of all the capabilities that it does, and then where's the gap? Well, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know, right? You could use the attack matrix as a starting point and then throw your tools in there and see what they cover and make sure you're covering the, 100% or as Michael says at least the 80% there.
1: Well, Devin corrected me, it's actually mathematically 74% and the the graph, you know, the scale as it goes up rapidly starts increasing uh 74%. And as you go above 74 to 80%, you get you have to deal with more false positives and I uh, yeah, I totally got that, but apparently it's 74.26. Okay, 74.26. <laughs> there we go.
2: Yeah, I mean that's a key use case that we see a lot of people doing and Now, the key about if you're doing that kind of coverage of like your tools and your capabilities, you know, 74, 26, whatever, you're never going to get to 100%. So I think that's important to keep in mind as you're doing that is it's all about improvement, right? Like if you can detect maybe 10 techniques today and then next week you can maybe detect 10 more, cool. Realizing you're probably never going to detect every technique 100% of the time.
1: You don't need to, right? Nope. Rob Lee pointed it out in his little uh, <laughs> write-up that he was doing on the overhead. I, I mentioned it again. If you catch eighty percent, you know, yeah, but I can I can I can launch application whitelisting bypasses on you. Yes, but I have, and again, that's the cool thing, right? Application whitelisting is a prevention, which you can map to the attack matrix. And then right alongside of it in another category are RegASM and, and RegServe32, which are application whitelisting bypass attacks, again, using application whitelisting, there is a way to get around it and execute code and or reach out to the internet and pull down code. And so now you have to go into detection mode since you can't prevent those from being executed uh, unless you then want to go down a, a fancy EDR path that will look at those utilities and block internet access like you know, definitely in silo would. Um, it it ha- gives you both the ability to do a prevention mapping as well as a detection mapping, and potentially I don't have anything and, and set yourself up for budget conversations.
2: Yeah, that's a huge, the budget thing is huge. And that's, we see a lot of people like CISOs or heads of socks, are saying, tell me what I should buy. And it's really hard to answer that, right? You get like product pitches from everyone and you don't know which one is better. And this is one way that you can kind of help try to organize that and help answer that question.
1: Plus, uh, looking at EDR, we did a big EDR eval here this past year uh, before our company got acquired, and um, it would be nice to be able to, not it'd be pretty hard to do it, but uh, it'd be nice to be able to map or take your EDR and say, well, EDR should be able to do these things. Now, how do I test that thing to see if my EDR triggers Right. So DLL sideloading is one of the things multiple times in the attack matrix where half of the solutions fell over when you tried when you tried to DLL sideload from like a Drydex. Um, and so this is the kind of way you can test the actual validity of a tool where, oh, yeah, EDR must be able to do DLL sideloading. That's like totally basic back like 1980s, you know, path. Load stuff. It turns out a lot of EDRs don't do a good job there. So it gives you the ability to potentially um, guide you or help you map testing of your solutions to see if they're worthy.
2: Yeah, and I should mention actually, uh, a MITRE team led by my colleague Frank Duff is actually doing this right now, um, where we're going through and um, testing seven um, EDR vendors' tools based on a subset of attack techniques in style of APT3. So that's going on right now. Um, Those results are all going to be released publicly and openly. All the vendors have agreed to that. So pretty excited about that. Yeah, it's it's going to be awesome. It's really the goal is to kind of articulate those tool capabilities, right? So that both the vendors can improve their product and customers can see what the tools can do. So yeah, we're not scoring things, but we're articulating what the tools can do. So watch out for that towards the end of October. It should be pretty cool.
1: So this kind of... Uh, satisfies people's quick evaluation, right? Um, Hey, I've I've looked at these. They're all going to be probably within 80% of one another in a lot of ways. Now you can focus more at the usability of the tool, the uh, agent stability, the, um, you know, can a a tier one analyst use this? Do you need a, you know, a really uh, heavy duty IR guy to be able to utilize this tool? Uh, because you're assuming that mapping that you guys are doing is you know fairly accurate uh, simple tests are probably all you would need to do and then you're really look focusing at usability and, and those questions have been answered and mapped so now you can say and I, i'm guessing a lot of people who are still on antivirus no edr basic logging lots of the other web proxy network you know border stuff will have a huge gap that edr can fill um, but they won't know exactly what it can fill and this obviously can help quite a bit and so i, I see that as a, a really great thing i'm sure the edr will love it until they get the results. So Katie, how do, how do I get started? Okay, I go to the attack.mitr.org
0: website. How is this going to help me? Where do I go? Uh, what are some tools I can use? Of course, we went through the tool where the items, but where do I start?
2: Yeah, that's a question we get a lot and it's, it's a legit one. It's not always easy because the matrix is so big, right? So, you know, my background's in threat intel. What I like to say is choose one of the groups we have on our website Um, we've mapped, I don't even know how many groups I'd have to look, you know, close to like hundreds of groups and software examples and look at what that group is doing. Uh, so let's say, you know, APT 28, they were in the news recently, a Russian group, um, that's been publicly associated with the GRU. So bring up the APT 28 page. If that's the group you're most concerned about, look at what behaviors, what attack techniques that they've used and start from there, right? It's overwhelming and attack enterprise. We have 219 techniques, but then narrow down what the groups that you care about are doing. Um, Another thing I like to point out is in each technique, we have a data sources field, which says things like, okay, what data would I need to collect to try to detect this technique? Things like registry data, process creation, that kind of thing. So that's another great place to start. Um, And using our um, STIX API, you can actually pull all that data and, you know, do that comparison. If I'm already collecting registry data, what out of the attack matrix could I possibly detect? So those are two ways that I like to suggest getting started. Uh, It can be really overwhelming kind of looking at the whole matrix for the first time, but kind of focus it down either on the groups you care about from a threat Intel perspective or the data that you're already collecting. What could you already have a chance at detecting?
1: Now groups are interesting. You mentioned tracking groups where I, Personally, would look at it, and I don't really care now. If I was a defense contractor, or in an area where very specific groups like gaming obviously would pay a lot of attention to W uh, to win NTI, uh, for the most part, I would tell people don't worry about the groups uh, unless you're in that kind of industry where uh, you are, you know, consistently attacked by those groups because. The techniques that they're using against you, anybody can use against you. And as code is shared, released, leaked, caught, you know, analyzed, presented on, they will then go, Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to work that into my plug X stuff or my malware XYZ. And so I think you'll get shared use or reuse or idea use. Um, And we saw this where often groups are said, oh, so-and-so did this. And it turned out, no, they just stole the idea. They wrote similar code because they liked the concept, um, but it wasn't actually that grouped. So you do have to be, I think, a little careful when you're going after groups, but sometimes there is like in gaming when NTI would be a big, big adversary, you would definitely pay attention to.
2: Yeah. And that's, you know, more on the attribution side, I wouldn't recommend anyone ever like use exact attack techniques for attribution. But what I think the value is of doing that and choosing a group and really the value of threat intelligence in general is helping you prioritize, right? So there's so many attack techniques to look at, but if you can focus and say, hey, I'm really concerned about this group targeting me, even if it's like, like FIN7, they were in the news recently too, for like the financial sector um, and saying, okay, well, I can't focus on everything in attack. So let me focus on FIN7 techniques and that's really what i see as the point of threat intelligence to help you prioritize your resources that are so limited right so
0: basically it it is worth the time to check out the site it has all the information <laughs> there at um can't stress enough i think pretty much everything you need to know about attack is in there
1: well we're going to talk more about that in part 2 huh? i think i think with the efforts um, that Uh, others are doing, um, and I talked about, Now we have to wait three, I asked, and we have to wait three to six months for these SANS talks to be released to the public. Uh So when those come out, I would highly recommend people go seek them out. So we can't give you any URLs because they don't exist yet. What do we do with it and how the information, right? We're we're logging gurus, or I'm a logging guru. I call myself a logaholic. That was the the slide that I got quoted on and I tweeted out, um, hello, my name is Michael. I'm a logaholic. So an obvious thing for the cheat sheets and everything was, um, you know, and anybody who doing as Olaf does with with Sysmon is if you're using a certain technology, like obviously the EDR people will, you're going to say, well, I'm really knowledgeable in this area, so I'm going to see what the coverage was. Now, I have to be honest, when I first started mapping stuff to attack, I had said to Brian, I think we're going to be pretty good here after going through it because what I did Uh, What I had to do manually, um, and maybe this is something in the API that needs a tweak, is I needed the data sources to be split out into different columns, whereas you guys combine them in the API as one pull. And, And yes, there's an API you can totally run to pull this stuff down in any format way or manner you want. And When I split them out, I was able to do search and replace saying, okay, that process execution is a 4688, process command line is also, or, you know, a command line execution is a 4688 as well. And I was able to then do search and replaces, you know, firewall, Windows firewall stuff. So I was able to put a 5156 in there. And as I kind of went through it, I told Brian, I'm like, the coverage here is going to be really good. And uh, when I got to the point where literally it was 80% coverage, I was like, you're going to be in really good shape if you're doing really good logging and and you do something to, to capture, you know, look for the list of admin utilities because you would catch, uh, as you mentioned as I ripped them off, you know, seven or eight technique names, you know, uh, Red Server 32, Application Whitelisting Bypass, uh, PowerShell Execution, WMI, blah, 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 that you're going to be surprised. Once you map your tools, or in our case, logging, in someone else's case, Sysmon, in someone else's case, EDR, in someone else's case, uh, network capture, and web proxy, and the email gateway stuff, wait till Proofpoint figures out what they can do there, and last line and figure out what they can do there, and they start putting their little matrix together of, we fill these gaps in the attack matrix, suddenly, your gaps will be very easy to fill if the vendors fill out their capabilities to this matrix, and you'll be able to more intelligently pick products um, because a lot of this work is going to be done for you um, because it's not just about prevention. It's also about uh, detection.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We were so excited to see those uh, cheat sheets, Michael. I felt silly during threats hunting summits. I was like, oh my gosh, did I totally miss these being released? And then luckily you said, no, you just released them last week. So yeah, yeah, that's something we'd like tossed around doing, but you know, such a small team and so little time. So We're really excited to see that. And it's good to know that you use the data sources, but I'll take back that note on the API specifically.
1: And we'll talk more about the cheat sheets. Uh, It got tweeted out. I did release them the night before I left for SAN, so they're very new. Uh, Matter of fact, what, that's a a week now Um, they've been out. And the whole goal originally was to say, how good is logging? You know, I tell everybody to do this logging, and how good a coverage is this from a detection? Obviously, logging does nothing per prevention unless, of course, you create scripts and Python scripts and have your log management do automatic stuff, but that's a totally different problem. And then, you know, Brian and I do LogMD. We do malware analysis. We can do threat hunting with LogMD. And so where's the gaps above and beyond collecting logs, which LogMD can do just like a sim can do? What else can we do? And so we mapped that and we're like, wow, the coverage here is, you know, you're way ahead of of what you thought you might have been without it. You can really kind of get a a visualization. It was real powerful to us. And I I was just like, okay, this this is really cool. This really validates the work that I've been working on for six years um, that I tell people, no, this really can catch the bad guys. You know, it has caught the bad guys in my case. Um, You really should seriously consider this, you know, to augment other tools that you buy, other blinky boxes and and things you buy and been told to buy for PCI tells you to buy. Yeah. I, I, I think it's very cool.
2: Absolutely. And I mean, yours is just one example of the great work people are doing. You know, I should say that the attack website, like as a team, we maintain that core knowledge base, but the real power of attack is what people are doing it with it. You know, like what you're doing with the cheat sheets, Michael, or, Different vendors using it in their products or people mapping it um, their tools and stock. That's that's what's really powerful about it. And it's been awesome to see all the open source work that people have done surrounding attack.
1: Yeah, we got it different got it out there. So what did you guys think the goal of the project was when you started it?
2: Hmm. I mean, like I said, like the goal was really just red and blue team communicating between each other, right? And then now our goal is really to kind of keep enabling people to improve their defenses, right? And to create threat informed defenses. So you know, our goal right now is just to keep attack going um, and continue talking to people about how they can use it, enabling the community, um, and hopefully, you know, talking to people about how they can contribute back because you know, we as MITRE don't have all the answers. So, yeah, I'd encourage everyone to, as you see things, issues with it, techniques that are missing, groups that are missing, let us know. Um, anyone can email us at attack at MITRE.org. We'll throw that in the show notes too. But yeah, our goal is really just to, continue it and continue keeping it useful. Um, you know, some things that we've debated about are are we at the right level of granularity, level of abstraction on techniques? And we know that different techniques are different levels of abstraction, right? Like something very specific like registry run keys or something very general like scripting. So we know that's that's kind of a difference we have. Um, so one thing on our roadmap is we're actually going to think about doing uh, sub techniques. So, a great example is something like credential dumping. There are so many ways you can do credential dumping, but that's just one technique. And to kind of enable some of those more uh, detailed use cases, we're going to try to move towards um, adding sub techniques to those techniques where it makes sense. At the same time, we're you know, like I said, we're trying to keep attack useful. Um, so we don't want to make it so complex that. It's not useful because I think one of the things that makes it so great is that you can talk about it at whatever level of detail makes sense to you, right? If some people might want to go to that sub-technique level and talk about the ways to do credential dumping, then as an executive level, you just serve that overall matrix or talk about tactics. So that's sort of where we are now is, you know, trying to make additions where it makes sense, like sub-techniques, looking at other technology domains like cloud or like network infrastructure. But above all, um, keeping it free and open for everyone, I think that's our number one goal.
1: Yeah, the sub is an interesting thing. You picked on credentials because, yeah, you got Mimikatz, which takes it right out of the, the hash repo. You've got users typing in a keyboard, right? Typical credential stealing, which are completely different defense prevention yep. mechanisms. And exactly. then you have Responder, which is capturing stuff off the wire, and again, a completely different way to detect and prevent that as well. So yeah, I can see some value uh, because there's three very different sub-techniques of credential stealing, right? Yeah, good point.
0: So how fluid is the attack matrix? I mean, do, does it change often? Are you going to have version two come out you know, soon, which throws everybody's matrix off? I mean, what are you just trying to keep it As stable as possible?
2: Yeah, so we add techniques and content when it makes sense to do so. Um, It definitely expands as kind of adversaries perform new techniques and as kind of the community does additional research and finding those adversaries. But it doesn't expand as quickly as something like CVEs, right? Um, so, you know, I'd say a handful of techniques we'll add every couple months. Uh, so our last release was in April and we've been working hard to get out a new website. Um, so we haven't done a release, uh, since April, I believe. And so, you know, that's where we're really working on right now is that new website. Um, we're hoping with a new website, which is sticks taxi based. Um, we're going to be able to, you know, push things out more incrementally. Yeah, it does expand, you know, I'd, I'd estimate, you know, technique or two a month we'll add, you know, maybe something on that order of magnitude um, as adversaries do new things, but not expanding exponentially. Um, and with our new website, we're also looking at a new versioning system to help people keep better track of what techniques have been added. Cause we know yeah. that's a challenge.
1: That's key because uh, I was involved in the CIS benchmark project when I was at HP and uh, they would change things, update the benchmark, but you had no idea wh- what they added. And so it became a challenge to say, I got to read this whole thing to find those three things they added, unless you were part of the committee. So if you can really definitely work on that to make it easy, because look at my cheat sheets, right? I got 187 times two. I need yeah. to know those three, five things you added. So it's real easy for me to add. Yeah, to make absolutely. Them, that's part out.
2: of our goal. And that's kind of why we've been using MediaWiki since we made it public in 2015, because that's what we had. That's what worked. But there are a lot of limitations it's a little bit buggy the api is a little rough um so we think you know, moving to a Stix taxi based infrastructure is going to make it easier to use easier to pull easier to do things like versioning so we're pretty excited about that
1: can you touch bases on the car attack stuff because i came across an indication where i had to log in to get access to it but there was a reference to sysmon mapping to attack and had something to do with car but i don't know anything about that particular area
2: yeah, so um, Cyber Analytics Repository was sort of a sister project. It's a car.mitre.org um, sister project to Attack, and uh, focused around uh, developing some analytics um, using a pseudocode. Um, challenge with this is sort of that um, the detection and the analytics people use are sometimes really sensitive. Um, so admittedly, CAR is a few years old. We haven't been actively maintaining it. So we're kind of looking at how we could update it right now. Um, And the tool you're referring to is a car exploration tool, Carrot. So it allows you to kind of pivot across like data sources to techniques. Um, And yes, this one is one of the tools that you can use uh, in Carrot. So you can access that from car.miter.org. Well,
1: if you're going to upgrade car, you might as well call it Tesla, right? (laughs) Boom, boom, mapping back to our story. Anyway. Full circle. Full circle. (laughs) All right. Any final thoughts, Katie? What are you working on next? What's coming up?
2: Yeah, I mentioned uh, sub techniques. Um, we're busy planning for a new a website rollout. We're diligently working on that. Also, really exciting, uh, AttackCon is coming up October 23rd and 24th. Uh, people were joking last week at the Threat Hunting Summit that that was like kind of like an AttackCon 1.0. But we're actually hosting AttackCon at MITRE, um, so that's pretty exciting. And I mentioned some of the other things we're doing. Um, looking at sub techniques, new technology domains. There's so much to do. Um, and, you know, every time we go out and talk to people, there are new new ideas we have. And we're a small team. So, you know, anyone who wants to contribute, please reach out to us. Uh, we always need help. But, yeah, we are staying very busy, to say the least.
1: And you do have some openings. I saw that uh, we tweet. We do. Out. Yep.
2: We have a job record that was just posted uh, last week. So, if you want to join the team, reach out.
1: East Coast only. won't. won't sadly.
2: I know. Sad Panda. <laughs> Sad
1: so Panda. <laughs>
0: yeah it's it's like you said it's it's got a lot of grassroots buzz uh, we saw it early on I think we did a podcast uh, I think early this year or last year on on breaking down security about attack uh, it was kind of uh, the first chance a lot of people uh, got to see what it was about and when we first looked at it we were like wow this is this is good info. this is really cool you know I, I remember scrolling through it and saying, wow i this is a this is a lot of detail all in one place. Um, this could be very useful. Wow, it's it just kind of exploded the amount of people that are looking at it, using it, and getting some detail from it, and, and actually learning from it has uh, has really come around lately.
1: Yeah, as the cheat sheet, sheet show. But I, I think the recommendation for every listener here and everybody in general is, if you want to self self assess yourself, now try to be somewhat honest. Uh, Self-assessments have always been a joke, right? Here, fill this out, Mr. Vendor, and tell us how good you are at your security. This is not that kind of thing. You're looking at it as, uh, you know, manager of security operations as a project to say, look, guys, um, you know, and and there was some uh, interesting discussion with Roberto talking about shades of blue, whereas uh, our stuff was just green, yellow, red. Um, And it's more of, do I have any coverage here? I got nothing, so don't color it at all or make it red. And then you can, you know, start graphing that and saying, okay, you know, Mr. Manager, uh, we have nothing in these technology areas. We have no web proxy. We have no no network packet capture thing, right? So you can self-assess without really having to worry about honesty too much, and say, look, I'm just looking to see if I have a technology that I think I, that I covers this area. And then upon thinking you cover that area, you can start looking at it to say. Is it okay coverage? Maybe color it yellow. Is it really good? I think I've got it nailed because I'm monitoring all the application whitelisting bypass utilities. I can make that green. Um, And just try to self-assess. I think you will be surprised at your gaps. I think pen tests you have, you should almost make it a requirement that the pen testers map their attacks that they're doing to you to an attack matrix so um, that you can directly proportionally put that into a detection and or future prevention purchases. Um, But everybody should do this to themselves. So go attack yourself. And I think this is way ahead of uh, anything else we've had uh, to do self-assessments and and try to understand the holistic view of, of what adversaries might be able to do to us.
0: And here's a thought fill out your attack matrix and then give it to your pen tester and say, Hey, you know, go, go test this. Am I, am I assessing myself
1: properly? Yeah, exactly. Prove you can test, right? That's the proof. Prove you can detect the... Say you can. Yeah, you say you can, you, and so I want to prove it. I'm going to, I'm going to nail you. And again, I talked about the three Cs, coverage, completeness, and configuration. They may get in to a system that you did not put the agent on or that the agent was on, but it wasn't configured properly, right? Or there's no agent at all, and so your coverage is really bad. And and so, yeah, you, you're going to get a multi-stage here. I mean, we, we did a wireless assessment where we believed we would catch them. Unfortunately, they hit a machine where the, the completeness and the configuration was not there. So we did not see part of the attack, though we did see the credential area. Yay. <laughs> but we did not see the service creation because they picked uh, a hole in our, in our completeness and coverage.
2: Yeah, it's really all about that red team working with the blue team to improve your defenses, right? An attack is a great way that they can use to communicate. That's how it was born. And I think that's a great use case for it now.
1: Yep. And if you're a higher person, this is what you should be detecting. If you're a threat hunter, this is what you should be looking for and making sure your team can detect you looking for it or, or emulating it. Talk about part two, Betcher. What is part two? Oh, we
0: have uh, created some new cheat sheets based on the attack matrix. So we're going to talk about
1: why we created them and some uh, other info you can use how to apply it and and whatnot. Again, taking it to what we took from MITRE and what we've been playing with on and off in our heads and weekends and nights and saying, wow, what can I do here? You know, we basically, in Humio, I've got all these alerts and reports and queries created. And, you know, what kind of coverage do I have to, to my little environment and lab that I have here at home. um, How well did I map to it? It's kind of the idea, or how well does an SMB or a medium or even an enterprise map to it? And that's the idea behind the cheat sheets, which we're going to get into in the next podcast. All right, I think that's a wrap.
0: Okay, thanks for listening to BDIR. We'll see you next month.
1: Thanks, Katie.
2: Thanks, guys. That was fun.